Hello, and welcome to Pressing Matters, a fly-on-the-wall-style podcast about WordPress, business, and life. Your hosts are Ian. Hello. And Jack. Hello. Ian's a plug-in author and works for Delicious Brains, and Jack runs better notifications for WP and his web design agency. Let's get on with the show. This episode is sponsored by Fastspring, the full-service e-commerce solution that enables software companies to sell more, stay lean, and compete big. Find out more on fastspring.com. Welcome to another episode of Pressing Matters. Jack, how's things with you, mate? You doing good? Yeah, really good, thanks. Yeah, I've had a really busy week. I'm still trying to get my um, my plugin launched. Um, it's just taken a bit longer than I thought, mainly because um, after some conversations in the last sort of week, I decided to change the name. So once you've already gone through the process of like referring to it as one thing in development and then coming up with a name and then having to go and change that everywhere. So it's things like, you know, your SES provider, um, the domain names, uh, <laughs> you know, your payment processes, every everywhere, you know, just trying to change, you know, domain name and linking it through and API keys and everything. And then, you know, making sure that it's changed and it all makes sense and throughout the website that I've been doing for it. And then trying to just clarify some of the language as well around it all with the name change so it's it's been a, a challenging week where I felt like I haven't actually been getting any further but actually I've probably gotten far further than I than I thought um, I was woken up really I'm knackered today I woke <laughs> up at, at half past two this morning because I heard some ruckus outside and in a sleepy state you know when you're in a really deep sleep at that sort of time um, I thought someone was trying to break into my office in the garden and it really sounded like someone like hitting the uh, the glass on the outside. Oh, no. um, and it wasn't. I couldn't see through like some of the hedgerow that's kind of nearby. But it was just some people arriving home like late and they were trying to park a van and there was some banging going on and all that sort of thing. There's lots of talk and everything. But yeah, in a sleepy state, it really sounded like this banging noise was someone trying to break into my office. So it got me up, you know, wide eyed. Um, and I got a few hours in towards the end of the morning but I was so tired this morning so yeah so uh lots of coffee lots of coffee today but nice. uh, it's Friday but anyway yeah it is it is yeah yeah TGIF um how about you how's it going yeah I'm good thank you it's been sort of a normal week up until about I think Wednesday and then I decided to pull the trigger and launch the latest thing that I've been doing which I think we'll talk about more on another podcast episode um so the rest mm. of the week has been quite busy with launch stuff and um, I got an article on WP Tavern that came out last night. So just yeah, been been busy with that, and again like the adrenaline. Like I talked about it with the WP Content IO launch, just that adrenaline of a, a new launch and just seeing people using it, seeing people sign up, seeing people talk about it, and just getting it out there. It, it's been really like exciting again, and yeah, that sort of pushed pushed me over the uh, hump of the week, and now looking forward to the weekend. So yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. No, it looks great. Yeah, no, congratulations on that. Um, I actually uh, in this morning I sort of tried to get myself to sleep by um, reading some long articles. But one of the ones I read first, you'll be pleased to know, was your uh, was the article that appeared about um, plugin rank on the tavern. Oh, nice. And uh, so yeah, and I did I did read it in its entirety. It didn't put me to sleep. <laughs> I was going to say that's a backhanded compliment for either Justin Tadlock or plugin rank itself. That it's now no, 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 not at all. An insomnia cure. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fall asleep. I, I start reading stuff about WordPress and I get interested and excited about stuff and it just makes me want to get up and kind of work on something. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it just fires the brain up. Just not good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, great. Nice. Yeah. So that, no, that's all good. And yeah, I'll talk about it probably next time. Um, but today we are we're joined by. Uh, another guest, which is good. We haven't had one for a while, so we welcome Tom Hurst today. Thanks for coming on, Tom. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Ian. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Jack and Ian, as well. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, that was a very, very quick intro of who you are, Tom. But um, <laughs> you, so you are a, a WordPress freelance developer, is that correct? I mean, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I've been um, a WordPress freelancer for the last 11 years and recently just started getting into authorship and writing books about my experiences in freelancing. Um, so yeah, I, I'm in a bit of a career transition at the moment while trying to balance both equally. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's all fun and games. 
Nice. Yeah, I mean, you, you've been popping up on my Twitter feed like all <laughs> over the shop for, for weeks now. And I remember, yeah. I, like, I think we started following you on the Pressing Matters account. And now you're, you kind of, you seem to have raised your profile significantly, I guess, in the mm. last six months. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, if it's longer or shorter. And, and you know, you, you are a WordPress freelancer, but you're, you're now becoming almost an authority on freelancing. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I guess that's kind of where I aim to be. It was all part of the plan, really. Um, obviously, I love WordPress. It's been a big part of my life for the last 10 years. But another big part of my life is like the business of freelancing. And it's something that I've always studied and been interested in and, you know, used it as, um, I, I guess I used WordPress as my tool to help me, you know, build a good freelancing career, essentially. It wasn't really just the the, the passion of WordPress that got me into it. It was a, the, the thought of how can I make this a successful business? Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of people came to me for advice on freelancing, you know, like my friends and just a few people that I already knew through Twitter. Um, but then I made a, a conscious effort to start sharing more of my thoughts more regularly. And yeah, it kind of took off. So I'm sticking with it. Nice. I mean, uh, going back to obviously the, the core of what you do or mm. and have been doing, because obviously a lot, hopefully a lot of our listeners are WordPress developers, you know, or the, either business owners or, or they're working on client sites. Yeah. Um, just tell us a bit more about, I guess, what sort of projects you've worked on? What do you what are you working on at the moment? What kind of WordPress mm-hmm. development do you do? Yeah, so, I mean, this has kind of transitioned as my career's progressed, really. Um, at the beginning, it was more, you know, like custom themes and things like that. So I would work mm-hmm. with the design agencies that didn't have developers in-house um, to come up with, you know, to, to translate their PSDs, really, into custom themes with custom functionality. Um, but yeah, then as time went on, that moved towards more advanced custom developments. So, you know, plugin work, um, integrations and things like that. Um, and then more recently, um, I'm heavily into headless WordPress at the moment. And I've got a couple of clients where we're building some, th- these projects have been going on for over a year now, both of them. And they're my biggest two projects at the moment. One of them's on Gatsby on the front end and one of them's on Next.js with WordPress as the back end. So yeah, nice. kind of move from, you know, the, the theme work at the beginning to, you know, the, the more custom headless stuff uh, right now. Nice. That's interesting to see that you've gone to that, um, you know, WordPress is, it's, it feels new in the headless space and the kind of the putting mm. the, the front end, either, you know, a React framework or the Gatsby side of stuff. It seems quite new and fresh. So it's interesting that you're, you know, already heavily into that with clients as your main, main yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I believe that that's the way that things are going, you know, like I think that the, the content meshes Gatsby have uh, coined it, different CMS is all working together. Um, but obviously with my WordPress focus, I know that people love using <laughs> WordPress and it's such a good content management system just for, you know, getting, getting websites up, allowing clients to make their own changes and things like that. So I want to take, you know, the benefits of both and put them together. And that's what I'm looking to specialize in moving forward to. Nice. Yeah, I think that, that that's the thing that's always struck me about WordPress. And like in the last few years, when I've seen other people building CMSs that are, I guess, competitors to WordPress, but they're full on CMSs. Mm. And the back at the back end, like the admin dashboard that clients would use are horrendous in comparison. And mm. it might mm. be a really great developer experience to build using this new cms but actually it's the it's the client it's the customer it's the user that counts completely so having having that that um that mix of wordpress back end and then all of the beauty of like a quick fast and better development experience for the front end seems like it seems like a no-brainer really doesn't it in terms of what that should be the way forward Mm-hmm, definitely. I, I agree with what you just said. You know, some of these other CMSs, the more developer focused than user focused, whereas people love WordPress because it's good at what it does. So, you know, use the advantages of each. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, I, I was going to ask you loads of questions about like, are you, you, you know, what are you using for these starter themes? Are you using Gutenberg? And I guess that's still, those are still valid with those questions because. Yeah. 
with the WordPress backend, are you letting your clients loose on Gutenberg? Are you embracing blocks and the editor? Um, on these two big projects, no, because Gutenberg was still in development. It wasn't. It, it was pre five point zero before mm. you know when we started the development. So at the minute, um, it's heavily ACF, flexible content fields, things like that for content edition. Um, but I mean, Gutenberg, I like it, but I'm not sure if it's quite where I'd like it to be yet for me to let my clients loose on it. Um, I think sometimes you get you can give clients too many choices and they end up making things break or not look quite as good as what they should. Um, so I, I find mm. that with using custom fields, you kind of get to give them a level of flexibility that will still look good on the front end. And, and that's what I'm looking to achieve on the projects I'm working on right now. So yeah, to answer the question, Gutenberg, not quite yet. Do you feel that it, it matters? I mean, you know, you've got, if you've got headless WordPress, you're sort of yep. decoupling, you know, what's outputted by WordPress from the back end. So if you've got, but if you're using WordPress kind of in its natural state, I guess, which is everything's kind of together, you've got themes, plugins, the output, mm -hmm. you know, and the editor experience and the management, it's all there. If you've got Gutenberg, it's a great way of you obviously being able to see the output on the front end in the back end. And it kind of go, it's a go between, isn't it? Between, you know, just writing a block of text with images yep. and outputting that into a post to giving you a bit of flexibility around the, the style and the design and, you know, the layout of it all. But do you think that's relevant with a headless WordPress or do you think, and, and you know, is it difficult to try and re-emulate that or do you think that it only Gutenberg only has its kind of place within a non-headless WordPress site? I appreciate you ha you're not using Gutenberg with a headless site. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no, no. I think um, Gutenberg with headless will work really well. It's just it, on the projects I'm working on, it's not something that I've gone down specifically. Um, but yeah, my my thoughts are that there's probably an advantage of using Gutenberg because you can share components. You know, as as we know that um, custom blocks they are uh, React components. So, you know, there's, there's room to use the same components on the back end in the editing experience as what you would use on the front end in a headless um, state. So, yeah, I think, mm. I think there is room for Gutenberg in headless for sure. It's just not something that I've uh, done right now. What, on those two projects you're working on, do you use something like Advanced Custom Fields or yeah. another plugin to, to enhance the editing experience for clients, at least to add more data than just post content kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's the, basically they have a lot of different um, custom post types and then we attach uh, advanced custom field sets. But the, the, main, the main premise of the whole sites are that it's modular. So we have flexible content fields where you can select different modules and then you add the relevant data. So it still looks good on the front end, but there's still that level of flexibility within, you know, some control parameters on the back end. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing, isn't it? You, you need clients to have the ability to add the data they need, but you want, you want to ring fence it in, in a certain way, yeah. don't you? Because as you said earlier, they could just, they could just have the potential to completely like mess it up, which mm -hmm. it, I guess, I think Gutenberg is, you know, there's, it, there's improvements coming, coming to it and you can have like block layouts and restrictions to where blocks can be and put, but ACF, I guess if if you've been using it for a while, it's just second nature, isn't it? Just to mm. plug in, define the field groups, define the field sets. Like the flexible, the flexible layout uh, field is so powerful yep. that it's just easy to 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 do again and again because it's muscle memory, I guess. Yeah, and and, and a lot of clients don't like change either. On some legacy projects, you know that I've worked on, trying to tackle that transition between the ACF, you know, stuff to Gutenberg. I found it, it'd probably just take so much time and training and they're not necessarily wanting the change either. So, you know, sometimes yeah. it is good just to stick with what you know. Um, but I mean, I do, I do appreciate Gutenberg and I do, really, I do really like it and I think it will become a necessity in my client projects, you know, moving forward eventually. But now just doesn't feel quite right for me. Yeah, and I think, as you said, it's, it's for newer projects that are fresh because... Like we've had this conversation so many times about Gutenberg as a developer, you kind of you you're not necessarily having the time and money to invest in redoing things yourself yeah. and learning how to do it the developer way. And it's the same for the client. Why if they've got a website that's been landed two years ago that's working perfectly fine, 
on the classic editor with ACF, why would they want to have a new mm. thing that is basically suddenly updated on their site that they have to learn, relearn to do? And that's time and money from their point of view. Like, that doesn't yeah, make exactly. sense, doesn't it? But, yeah. I suppose for your headless stuff, there's always using maybe something like ACF blocks where you can add those to Gutenberg and then output that. So you still have, you know, everything that you kind of currently got, mm. but then putting a, an ACF block into Gutenberg would allow them to kind of populate that. So it wouldn't be like as a, as a transitionary step towards, you know, using, say, full Gutenberg in a headless environment. You could have something like that in the middle. Um, just just a thought, just because we talked to Elliot about ACF blocks not so long ago and, you know, I tried it out and everything and saw sort of the power of that and how easy it was to mm. kind of put that together. I suppose if they're looking for a very visual kind of way of editing content, then um, understanding how their data goes in and how it's going to come out is quite, is quite nice with ACF blocks and Gutenberg. Mm. I guess that's another angle that they're going for. Yeah, I think that's a really good transitional state. You know, use the ACF blocks to take, you know, yourself from full-blown ACF to full-blown Gutenberg. I think that's, that's a really good shout, Jack. Yeah, Jack, cool. are you using that on your new site, on your new plugin site? Or are you just going simple, like just hard-coded? ACF blocks or, or Gutenberg? Yeah, AC, ACF blocks. I'm, I'm not actually. Um, I don't think I'm using any custom fields on my new site at the moment. Um, I can go into that at a later, later yeah, date, yeah, but actually no, I'm... Just... I'm, I'm I'm not doing a huge. I'm not ha to, in order to get the site out. I'm basically not doing a huge amount of like um, using the WordPress backend for like content other than like post types and stuff like documentation. And yeah. as I sort of progress, I'm going to start replacing elements of stuff that's built into templates into um, using WordPress. And I do want to use more of Gutenberg and ACF blocks as well. Um, to get me the output I want, especially with the theme that I'm using, which is pretty flexible. So something I want to do is obviously make sure once Gutenberg's kind of further down the line, I want to be able to use like the grid system I'm using on the site in Gutenberg and really getting those two kind of matched up. Um, it's it's still the one thing that I find is a bit of an issue actually. It's sort of the, the, the sort of front end editing experience isn't quite front end enough that you're still in the WordPress admin all the time. So I'm just trying to, I'm still trying to work out how I would transition between one and the other and how that's going to look for myself, how it's going to look for my clients as well and mm. everything. But um, but I'm sure we'll come on to that at some point. I'd love to do a, yeah. a podcast episode actually about design and, you know, editor styles and Gutenberg styles and all that sort of stuff at some point. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, Tom, um, you're, a, we, we've obviously said you're a solo developer, but um, do you, outsource anything any part of your work you say you're in a sort of transitionary kind of career state at the moment mm. does that mean you're moving towards more of focusing on other things and outsourcing what you've done previously with clients or anything like that yeah i mean i've always outsourced when i've been at capacity myself anyway um whether that be segments of projects or you know handing off projects completely um so yeah i mean the main the main thing that i outsource is design because it's just something that I can do, but I don't really want to touch, you know, in a professional capacity. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that's the main thing. And then obviously, when I get um, work that I, I can't take on myself, maybe it's a really small project or I'm booked up, then I will look for other freelancers who have got similar skills that I can hand that off to, or maybe I can employ them or hire them, you know, and, and have my overall guidance over the project. So yeah, it's mm -hmm. um, mainly solo, but sometimes outsourcing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, t talking about that, you, uh, I think that's one of the first times I saw you on Twitter. You'd launched something called Forwarder. Is that the right way? To yeah. It? Yeah. Which is, I guess, a freelancer, uh, a site to help people almost offload the work they can't do, and then other freelancers can find work if they're looking for it. How's that going? Yeah, that's kind of, it's not died a death, but it's kind of gone quiet because it's just something that I didn't really put much... I moved my time really towards the authorship kind of stuff because the, the initial traction didn't really land. But I mm. um, I created that because it was a it's a problem that I have all the time, like work coming in that I just can't take on, and those leads have value, you know. Then someone else would really yeah. some people, you know, someone else who's not had any work for a while would really you know appreciate getting that lead handed to them. Um, but yeah, the the idea with Forwarder was to get everyone together so that the people that have the ex excess leads you know, have a community of people that they can, you know, give them to. And, you know, conversely, on the other side, the people who are, you know, low on leads can, can get them. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it kind of took off. And I think there's about 200 users on it. 
but then no one was adding the leads. Everyone, it was just me. So <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, I, I was adding like two or three leads a, a, like a week. And then people, people were like all applying for them. I was handing them out and it was all, it was okay, but there was only me using it. So I think I scratched my own itch, but it was only my itch. <laughs> yeah. It's, it sounds like obviously, yeah, you need a few more of you, those yeah. type of people on there. But yeah, well, so are you doing that now? Like, obviously it sounds like you're inundated with, with leads. Are you just, do you have a kind of a set, um, set of freelancers that you know that you go to and you know you can trust and you just offload your leads to them? Yeah, at Rather the minute, than, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes I do post them on Forwarder if I think it's relevant, but I think that the traction's, it just, you know when you just know that something's not quite right, so you've kind of took a step back from it and maybe I'll revisit it in future. Um, but yeah, I think there was about 200 people all looking for leads and just me putting them on. So the the aspect, just the balance wasn't quite right. So yeah, back to your question. I've got two or three people now that, you know, I'll say, look, I've got this opportunity. Does it, does it look like a good fit, you know? And then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, and and how do you find your if you do get people to help out with your stuff with your actual projects? How do you yeah. find them? Is it just past relationships that you've sort of yeah. fostered, or yeah, social yeah. media um, mainly? I mean, I've got a, I've got a close friend who's a designer, so most of my design work goes to him, um, and he's like a, a real world friend. Um, that I've known all my life, um, but yeah, what, then what are those? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially in this, uh, you know, day and age, can't do anything yeah. with them anyway. Um, yeah, so yeah, so I use him quite a lot for the design stuff. But then um, social media has been a big help in this regard. I've made some really good connections. Um, so yeah, most most of the referral stuff that I send through is to people that I've met on Twitter. Nice. It's it's amazing how much Twitter is like, you know, in in daily life and for the mass populace, Twitter is is a very weird and toxic platform. But actually, for me, it's like career defining, really. Yeah. And I'm sure the same for a lot of people. It's it's been so helpful. Like imagine, I can't imagine if I didn't join Twitter. It's bizarre to think that. Yeah, there's so hmm. so many opportunities out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny you say it's toxic. I never think of Twitter as being toxic. I've, I've heard other people refer to it as that, but I've I've never felt that. I've um, maybe it's because of the people I follow or mm. oh, or, yeah. or what. But I I don't like I don't use Twitter. I use Tweetbot for uh, my phone and my Mac, and so I know and I only subs- I, I have I follow people, but then sometimes I only want to see some people's tweets, so I put them in a list, and I mm. look I only look at that list as well, and occasionally I like check out some of the people that followed me some of the people that I should be following reorganize my list a bit so I'm seeing more stuff or not seeing more stuff so it's kind of quite I keep the content right down if you see what I mean to like yeah. the good not just the good stuff you know because I want to kind of see as much as I can but the people that I follow and seem to follow me and the interactions I have have always been pretty much positive on Twitter mm. for me um, and I don't read the like the news or the trending or any of that sort of stuff you know um so yeah, maybe maybe I'm sort of I've I've bubbled myself, but I don't see that as a bad thing. If you're getting rid of all of the sort of negativity on a social media platform, I can't see that being a bad thing personally. Yeah, I think if you're using lists, that's it's a good thing, isn't it? Because, but like my general feed, even though I'm trying to kind of keep my um, WordPress developer bubble, there's still like mm. political tweets, and there's still like I don't know, just like random. If you ever see like a, a tweet by Gary Lineker just <laughs> pop up retweeted in your feed or something, and then you look at the replies, it's absolutely horrendous. It's yeah, it's just yeah. Such, don't look at the replies. No, you it's, never it's, look at the replies. You don't know, read the comments. Don't. don't look at YouTube comments. <laughs> don't look at yeah. And it is horrendous the amount of sort of vitriol that people have against just anyone. Like it's yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I guess that's kind of linked to the next question because you end up. Tom, you're obviously becoming an authority on Twitter. You, you're gaining a following. You're becoming a person that people are um, retweeting, they're replying to, they're engaging with. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, the the bigger you get, the more you perhaps come across all that stuff. Like, how's yeah. that journey going with you know becoming that authority on on Twitter? I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think when you put yourself out there in any shape or form, you leave yourself open to criticism, and I think. That's where a lot of the toxicity comes from. If it depends on how you deal with that, you know. Um, luckily for me, I would say that 
you know, 99% of the feedback that I get is positive. Um, because obviously it comes from a position of wanting to help people who are maybe earlier in their careers than, than what I am. Um, so most people can see that, but you know, with them, um, I do get the odd DM that's like, why do, why are you bothering? This is rubbish. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you share this content in a Twitter thread rather than an article and just like really random stuff. But I think a lot of the, the accounts are fake anyway, but it's still, I can only imagine like, you know, the famous people that get this like day in, day out, how it must affect their mental health. Um, mm. But then, I, yeah, that, that circles back to the toxicity of social media. I think you can kind of, you know, build a fence around yourself a little bit, like what Jack did to protect himself from, you know, the political stuff, uh, you know, the hateful stuff. So, yeah, I think it's about how you use it, really. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. I use a lot of muting come... Yeah. Uh, come election times and stuff like that certain political head figures in the world i'll leave it at that um i uh, i tend to just mute the words related to that sometimes you miss things mm. you know if they've got a name that's sort of similar to one thing or the other but most of the time i'm all right so yeah i, I find that works quite well but anyway yeah no I, just, I was just looking actually your um pricing freelancing projects everything i've learned in a thread um, yeah. tweet 11.2 thousand retweets and comments 37.1 thousand likes at time of you know uh recording so you must have had a fair amount of well you have had a fair amount of kind of uh comments and stuff how how has that been has that been mostly positive yeah yeah like like i said before like 99 percent positive um and then just some random accounts like dming me just saying that i should give up doing what i'm doing because it's useless <laughs> that that's kind yeah. of it uh, but yeah it's been mostly positive and I guess that's just what comes with the territory, you know, three, three million people, well, over three million people have seen the tweet. So it's like, you know, you're, you're going to get some people that don't like it. And it's just, I just accept it and move on and focus on the people that did. I mean, yeah, that's in your um, blog. As, sorry, sorry, Ian. Sorry, you, sorry, Jack. Yeah. I, I was just going to follow up and say that, um, you know, on your site, you've got an article, pre, Pricing Freelance Projects, yep. articles about the Twitter thread. Was that spawned from a comment or did you kind of intend to flesh it out on your blog anyway? Um, the, well, the, the blog is just literally like segmenting the tweets into, you know, categorizing them into the different pricing methodology and things like that. Um, but yeah, a couple of, I follow quite a lot of SEO guys and I'm friends with them. Um, a lot of prominent people in that space. So they were like, you need to make an article summarizing this because you'll rank really well. So yeah, I did that for um, a tactical advantage really. Um, and then obviously mm. the, the article then spawned the book. Uh, yeah. that, those stats on the tweet are insane. Like yeah. obviously yeah. You, you, you've been tweeting and, and driving a level of engagement for you know a, a number of months, I guess. But that is jackpot when it comes to viral yeah. kind of tweets, isn't it? I mean, just looking at even your the thread, like every single tweet has got like over almost a thousand likes in that thread. Yeah. That's that's madness. It's it's just crazy. I, I just think it must have been the right content at the right time because my audience wasn't even super big then. I mm. think I I think I had about two and a half thousand followers and it had taken me around yeah, about six months to get to that from like nothing. Um, but then within a week I'd gained another four and a half thousand. So that took me up to like 7,000 and then I've gained like another 500 or so since. So it's just crazy. Wow, yeah. You hit the nail on the head. It was just jackpot, like the right content, the right time, the right people retweeting it. And it just was a perfect storm basically for, um, virility. Yeah. And I guess, you know, added to that perfect storm is the, the current world pandemic situation where, yeah. There's probably a lot of people that are thinking, look, I'm, I'm either furloughed or I'm either out of work or I'm working from home and I don't like the job. And, and freelancing seems like mm. a, a, a career step that they'd like to, to, to take. And as you said, you, you know, you're trying to help people within who are early on in their careers and you. So I guess, yeah, that, that is um, content that is just just sort of waiting to be consumed by these, these people, I guess, in, yeah. in this situation. It's just highly valuable. And that's, that's, that's a lot of the feedback that I got, like the value in it was, was really high because the way that I'm a pretty frank to the point person, but I try and, you know, be tactful about it. But I think that that comes across in that tweet, you know, it was just no nonsense, no fluff. That's what I've learned. Um, and here's your little insight into it. And, and people seem to love it. Yeah. That, and obviously you've learned all of this stuff and, and there's going to be people in this, 
in the t- Twitter thread and people learning from you on Twitter. But who who are the people that you've learned from? Who is your, you know, kind of freelancing pricing mentors and yeah people that you've grown from? Yeah, I mean my my main business mentor is my dad, and he still is because he's had his own um, accountancy firm for I don't know how many years now. It must be thirty odd years. So I've always been brought up with a, an entrepreneurial mindset and he always, you know, bought me books about business and things like that. And then that's obviously forged my um, my own career path, I guess. Um, but yeah, in terms of pricing, the, the, there's a guy called Jonathan Stark and he wrote a book called Hourly Bill in His Nuts. And that I was already on the path towards the value-based pricing kind of, you know, mentality, but that really just crystallize my thinking on it basically um and i mean i don't know jonathan personally but i would consider him to be a mentor for sure i think i listened to a podcast with him and uh keith, keith devon who was on the yeah. show yeah the yeah. pricing that WordPress. was really good yeah he's, he's such yeah. a he's so you know his, his pricing view is is awesome it's really good mm. yeah Absolutely. i i remember listening to that and thinking um it was you know, really, really valuable information. But it also, it also struck me that there was a difference between like how he positioned his methodology and how he perhaps implemented it in the US rather than like yeah. the UK. Like there's some stuff in there where like when I was doing client sites and freelancing, I couldn't imagine speaking to clients and saying, well, I could add you this value and it's going to do this to you. So give me 20K. Like people would be like, huh? Yeah. What are, you, what are you talking about? I can just go and get a website for a thousand. Like what? Yeah. You know? I, th- I think, I think the, there is a difference, you know, in the, in the culture between the UK and the US. And that's something that I've found like the, the, the my stance on pricing is more, I try and come at it, come at it from a realistic angle of using value rather than just putting, you know, pie in the sky figures. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying that that doesn't work with the right client, but you need to have a client that's perceptive to value-based pricing if they're not perceptive to it then you know you've got no chance of getting that deal over the line yeah i think that's a good point because i guess it comes down to the type of the client right because you know if you've got a small company that are they're not really aware of how much potentially a really good website could do for their business they're not going to know that they can they should be spending x amount they don't know the value of it so how you how do you kind of like pick through those types of clients when you get like lots of leads for work like how do you identify those those good ones yeah i mean you're going to get two types of buyer you're going to get someone that just wants a website and then you're going to want someone that wants to get more leads more sales and they they're aware of their own outcomes and desires that they actually want rather than just getting a website up and live so the the main the main thing is really that it's your positioning so if you position yourself as someone who just builds websites and you don't have any, you know, proof of what, how you've like, um, like, you know, let's, let's talk about business results. So say if a website, someone comes to you and they just want the website, they don't, they don't care about what business results it gets. They're not going to know the value in your website over someone else who was 10 grand cheaper. So to, to filter those through really, it's about your positioning. So, if you say, I build websites, you're gonna get the, the kind of people that just want a website. If you say, I build websites that do X, Y, and Z and get these results, and here's the proof, you know, you're gonna get people who understand the value of a good website, and, and they're the kind of clients that you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, and I guess that's the thing, isn't it? You, do you, are you even in the position now where you ed- try and educate the clients that don't want it, or do you just say, I'm not the right guy for you? Yeah, I mean, something that I do is gauge value as soon as I can. So, talk, you know, give, give you know, just say, look, my project start at X. Can can this work? You know, is there any reason that you want to work with me in particular? You know, what outcomes are you looking for? Because if they can answer these questions, then they're probably more perceptive to value. But if they just say, look, I don't know, I just want a website, then you know that they're not perceptive to value. So, yeah, in, to answer your question, the people that are not perceptive to it, I kind of shy away from. And the people that, that, that want to work with me in particular, you know, I'll take things further and discuss the project in more detail. Mm. And obviously that, that, that um, approach works for you, I guess, now in this stage of your career because you can yeah. say, 
yes yes to the big projects and the ones that you know that are going to have that good gauge on value but you can say no to the other ones but the people starting in their careers who kind of need to make ends meet and just get some work out there build the portfolio build the experience yeah what's your advice to them when it comes to um obviously saying yes to things to to, to actually make money but yeah. then transitioning like how do you how do you do that because you can get stuck can't you in that way of working where you just say yes to everything whatever it is and you just you're putting money out or putting work out just to make money yeah exactly you've got to be when you're pricing the work you've got to be realistic about your own circumstances if, if you need to put food on the table then you've got you've got no leverage you, you need you need to just say yes to a lot of things you know and that's just how it is but to transition into the to the point where you know you've got a bit more leverage you know, you need to, the thing that I did is build my own audience. So rather than letting, rather than like going out to people and saying, look, please, 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 can I have some work? I, you know, made content, reached out to people specifically and showed them my specific skills to, to you know, to, and then eventually people started coming to me because they knew that I could offer, you know, these custom WordPress sites. They knew that there was something a bit different about hiring me than someone from Fiverr, you know, that, and that's the inbound lead uh, generation is, is where I would where I would start that transition. And obviously, that Twitter is a big thing for you at the moment. Uh, but have you yeah. put? Your, I mean, your website is is very well put together, very well written. There's a lot of um, copy there that's actually for for a, for a prospective client, they can understand what they're getting from you. But have you put a lot of work into the Google side of things and content marketing and SEO? Is that is that one of your bigger channels rather than Twitter for, you know, peer peer um, connections and rather than you, clients? Yeah, I mean SEO is massive for me, um, and it's always been a big focus. So my my homepage is where most of my leads come in from because the the term freelance WordPress developer I've ranked well for for it must be at least seven or eight years, um, and that that brings in enough leads you know to, to, to so i don't never have to worry about it basically um but yeah then um I, I started making individual landing pages too so when i a few years ago and i wanted to transition from you know the development side towards the strategy side i, just, I made a, a separate page you know that focused on wordpress consultancy um and and that as a search term and then that that now is equal with the home page so i get leads coming in on the you know the implementation side and the strategy side f through two different pages um so yeah seo has been been a big player for me for sure nice yeah i mean that that's something that i guess everybody should should be doing and it's just a case of having their website and and writing content and writing focused content and are you writing blog posts um, on a kind of a schedule? Are you doing it as part of that content marketing kind of regularly? At the minute, no, uh, but it is something that I'm going to look towards doing. More, more for the um, freelancing niche, though, rather than the, the WordPress niche. Um, I do do strategic pieces of content, you know, every now and again, like I wrote um, a summary about what headless WordPress is and, and why you need it, kind of targeting these business owners that might be running on WordPress already, but not quite sure what headless is and what the advantages are. So at the minute, I just I just pick topics out if I think that there's, it's gonna give me some kind of advantage on the, the marketing space. But yeah, I, I, I do need to get into a schedule of writing more regularly, but I think it'll be more towards the, the freelancing side. Yeah, and obviously that from the sounds of it, that is now your main focus, isn't it? It's your... Yeah, I think... It's going to be about 50-50 for a while, I think. Um, I, I, I always want to be in and around WordPress because I love the community. It's what I know best. It's what a lot of people know me for. Um, but I think the if I want to try and decouple my time from my earnings, then I think the authorship route is probably the better one for me to go down and, and helping people out. And, and to be honest with you, I probably find it a bit more fulfilling than you know building websites. Nice. So yeah, I mean that's obviously something that you've got on at the moment. It's your your new book, right? It's it's out yeah. live or is it still in pre-order? Tell us more about that. Yeah. So I mean, after the the tweet that we talked about went viral, I just I just had like this epiphany that I have, I have to I have to do more on this. I have to try and capitalize on this attention, I guess. Um, and I mean, a book a book on pricing freelance projects has always been on the cards. It's just it's just been time, you know, scheduling it in and when should I do it, but. That, you know 
this tweet going viral just was like, yeah, I have to do it now. I have to do it now while it's hot, you know. Um, so yeah, I did a couple of weeks client work as well as writing the book for two weeks. And then I just dropped everything and just focused on it like solidly for two weeks. And because I'd already kind of outlined it in my head before, I managed to get it done in 30 days. So yeah, it launched on, yeah, last Thursday. So yeah, it's uh, been really well received. It got 230 pre-orders, I think. Um, and it's sold about 30, 30 or 40 copies since it went live. So yeah, it's every, every, every day, two or three copies have been sold just through not really doing anything, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was good to get it out there because I've got that evergreen asset now that can help freelancers for years to come. Yeah, and it's you're now in that product space, aren't you? Where you, yeah. you spent the time and the energy creating a product, and then you can earn from it residually, I guess. And in in a slight difference to what me and Jack do with our plugins, which need constant updates, features, yeah. bug fixes, support. Yeah. I mean, I guess you know, not underplaying the book in terms of what you have to do with it, but there's less ongoing work with it. Perhaps you do some sure. updates once a year or something, but yeah. For sure. I mean, the, the product business is always something that I wanted to get into, you know, with my skill set. And like yourselves, I've considered, you know, plugins, themes, but then that ongoing nature of support and, and the level of commitment, you know, that you need ongoing is, is kind of, it, it, that's what steered me away from it. And that's what put me towards, you know, the information products, because like you said, this, this, this product now is done. It's saleable. It doesn't really need much upkeep apart from, you know, maybe a few typos might come up initially. And then I want to add a new section every year or so. But yeah, that, that's why I went down this route for the products for sure. Can you, hmm. do you see that you can then um, increase the amount of books that you have? Are you looking to author more? Is that, is that the idea? Is that the trajectory? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I already had um, another book about how to be efficient as a freelancer, 25% finished, but then the tweet went viral and I dropped that and then went to the Pricing Freelance Projects book. So yeah, I've already got one that's that I probably will write within within the next six months and then I've got ideas for many more as well. So yeah, once once you have one product, obviously the, there's that crossover. So the audience that's bought one, you know, will probably want to buy any others that you release to too. So it's definitely something I want to um, carry on doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, Jack, you go. No, uh, so I was just going to say that. Yeah, the, I mean, the I'm looking at the uh, the contents. You know, the bullet points and contents on your sales page for it, and the mm. information on there is is pretty. Like you say, it's fairly evergreen. It's not something that you know, unless there's sort of some part of the content that refers to a particular technology or a particular thing that yeah. may become outdated in the next sort of two five years something like that it's something that you could hang on to for a while I mean you know there are books out there as you as you were aware you know that were written 20 years ago and are still so relevant today because they're just to do with selling or just to do with marketing or something like that and they're and they're tried and tested methods it doesn't matter what kind of you know vertical you apply them to they're exactly. still very relevant yeah no I totally get that it's very appealing it I, I'm not going to just stop write in WordPress plugins and write a book, but I can understand the appeal. <laughs> Have you got the book on your site? Have I missed in that? Or is it? Um, I think it's, I've listed it on my about page, but I need to get a link in the main nav. Yeah. And maybe, I guess, a dedicated page because you're selling it with Gumroad. Is that right? But you perhaps need your own. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the list to create like my own landing page as well. Because um, you can embed yeah. the Gumroad sales widget or whatever you want to call it into into your own page so nice mm. yeah i've actually had quite a lot of experience with gumroad this last week in sort of um illustrations for my new site mm. it seems like quite a lot of people that do like you know here's 25 illustrations that do this or something seem to use gumroad what's your experience of it i mean do you have any experience of like you know woocommerce or these digital downloads or anything like that to compare it to as well yeah, I've used um, WooCommerce a lot on client projects and I think I've used Easy Digital Downloads as well. Um, but I mean, I had I had another e-commerce business that was a clothing line, but I built that on Shopify. So I kind of already knew all the different avenues really that I could sell, but Gumroad just seemed the easiest way to, you know, take the pre-orders and things like that. Um, it's a relatively modest fee. I think it's three and a half percent if you buy the pro plan, which is $10 a month. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so far my experiences have been pretty good. Um, people, people are kind of, 
the content that I'm doing, people are attracted to Gumroad for that kind of content anyway. So there's, there's that aspect of it as well. People feel safe, I guess, buying information products from Gumroad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially as you can set that sort of, you know, the fair price thing. You can pay nothing for it. Yeah. Or you can pay, you know, what you suggest or more or whatever. Yeah, it's quite an appealing uh, prospect, that really, I guess. Yeah, and it handles all the, the VAT problems as well. So depending on what country you are from, it'll automatically calculate the amount of VAT you have to pay, which is obviously a big headache for a lot of people selling digital products. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. We, yeah, we've spoken about that a lot. Um, just looking at your site and talking about the book and everything that, you know, the path that you're on, um, yep. it's reminding me of, have you heard of the guy Nathan Barry behind ConvertKit? Yeah, I have, Who yeah. wrote Authority, a, a book about, I guess, making money online. And, and I remember, must have been years ago when he just sort of, he transitioned from um, being a developer to being a writer. And then, mm. like, you know, the, the path that, he's taken is is obviously phenomenal but it just shows that that is a that is a a, a niche or it's a it's a, a a career that is actually really really um not valuable but it, it can take off and it, and it can actually do really well and as you said probably more fulfilling than like client site after client site after client mm. site mm. Yeah, yeah i think if, if i could emulate his trajectory obviously i'd be uh, buzzing about that <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't know yeah, if I'll that's be insane, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if I'll be building a, a SaaS anytime soon. <laughs> but who else do you kind of look up to in that space now when it comes to like authoring and um, you know building or writing books? Yeah, um, oh, you put me on the spot a bit here with this one. Um, I mean, I really, I really like Atomic Habits by James Clear. I don't know if you've read that, but that's yeah, you know that the, the ideology behind that is you know, so in line with what I try to do, you know, to stay efficient and to better myself. So yeah, people who, I know sometimes people like mock self-help books, but for me, I think that they're some of the most valuable things that developers can read, um, you know, to be, be more efficient, get the more, most out of your time. Because then, at the end of the day, I think developers struggle with balance. And I think when you can be more, bal um, more efficient in your work time, you can be more balanced, you know, overall, you know, in terms of spending more time with your family and friends and things like that. So yeah, James Clear, I look up to for sure. Yeah, I think the I've, difference is, is that obviously they're niched sort of self-help books in that, yeah. you know, they're about, you know, software or marketing or sales or, you know, even specifically WordPress products or something like that. So mm. it's very easy to, to sort of draw parallels with your own work and, you know, how you earn money rather than your average, you know, self-help book, you know, yeah. I guess. But uh yeah, I totally, I totally see what you mean. Unfortunately, I haven't got a lot of time at the moment, but I do enjoy reading. I enjoy reading a lot of articles, but um, there's a there's a lot of books like that on my Amazon wish list, which uh, as soon as uh, both my children are slightly older, I'm going to get well stuck into. So mm. um, you prompted me to um, put uh, Atomic Habits at the top of the list. It is on there already. But yeah, do it. Move to the top. Do it for sure. Yeah. I think people, obviously, you said people mock like the self-help stuff. And I think that goes hand in hand with people being a bit wary of people who sell the idea of how to do something, but perhaps yeah. don't do it themselves. And I think that's quite mm -hmm. a big issue on the internet because there's so many people that perhaps dip their toe in the water of doing something and then just forge a career of selling how to do it to people, but they actually don't have that basis behind it. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's almost, a, it's a snake oil type thing. Um, yeah. You know, how to get, get X clients or how to do this. And, you know, but I think there are really genuine people out there and and i think from looking at your tweets and your book and, and reading about your background you know you come across like that and obviously that's going to help you with your sales and yeah um because you've done it you've been there you've done that you've had 10 years of doing it you're still doing it um whereas there's so many charlatans out there isn't there yeah yeah i mean that's where credibility comes into play you know like the, i think the re the only reason that i've sold 250 books so far is that People believe that, you know, the information that I'm giving them is accurate because, like you said, I've been there and I've done it and I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm not just trying to make a quick book like the, the money's secondary, really. You know, while I believe that the content that I put out is highly valuable and has a, has a worth, you know, the, it, the helping people is really why I do it because the client work pays the bills. So people understand yeah. that credibility, you know, and, and, that's, and that's why, like you said, 
I, hopefully I come across in that way rather than someone who was just trying to make a quick book. Yeah. And I think people do appreciate that. I came across something the other day. It was a quote. It was basically like how that if you're successful, it's obviously not very good to stand there and look at other people who aren't and just go, I'm successful. But it's like you're further ahead on your journey and you want to help people bring bring them along on the same journey but yeah. you know, and help them. Yeah, you've got to bring others like, up. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a good trait to have and I think obviously that comes across. But obviously because you're putting out value on Twitter for free and people are seeing that as mm. helpful and available whereas you know you're not paywalling everything and it's it's kind of it's a helpful attitude rather than just like a money grabbing thing as you said yep and not all your tweets are sort of you know suffixed with buy my book <laughs> as well. so it's always like here's a little caption if you want the rest buy the book yeah the best thing to do with sales is not to sell it, it really is just just keep sharing that value you know on twitter newsletters blogs and then you know every now and again just drop something in or you can buy my book if you want if you're interested in reading more about this then here's the book if you want to get it but yeah the best the best way to sell is not to sell that's that's something that i've learned in this in the product space anyway yeah i think um, most people i would assume are like me on twitter if they see a tweet from somebody that's helpful I'll look at the profile. I'll then visit their website. I'll have a look, try and understand a bit more about them. Not yeah. stalking, but you know, in internet um, understanding, and then then you'll find their offering. So it's it's sort of an inherent kind of selling without being so obvious. And um, yeah, yeah. The, the best kind of marketing is when people don't know they're being marketed to. That's that's another good takeaway that I've learnt. If you, if you can just get your content under enough people's noses, you know, consistently enough, they'll, they'll want to find your offering anyway, and, and then they'll want to buy it as well. Yeah, totally. So um, obviously you're, you're been, you know, you're busy with this and writing and potentially writing more. Yeah. Um, but obviously you've still got clients to sort of, you know, uh, maintain and service and and stuff like that yeah I'm just curious how you split your week between or your days and your week between client work and you know uh, finding new work yeah maybe writing you know how, how does that look for you on average yeah so on average the, the way that I kind of try and work is in <laughs> portions of days so let's say I'll do 50% client work one day 50% working on you know the authorship and writing and um, you know getting reviews for the book and things like that so yeah at minute it's kind of a 50 50 split and I, I usually do it um every day i'll do a bit of everything but split it down the middle so the morning might be you know the authorship career the afternoon might be the client work um so yeah that, that, that's a split at the moment but it, it's open to um i try and keep a little bit of flexibility in there as well because obviously the trials and tribulations of everyday life with a, with a baby and a dog and a wife and you know other family members that need your attention <laughs> it doesn't always it doesn't always go to plan so yeah i like to have a semi-flexible routine nice chuckling along yeah. at the at the wife being a an aspect of the distraction it's so yeah no 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 it's, it's not a distraction obviously it's it's a viable distraction i guess because that's where you want to spend your time you know that's why we do what we do right to spend time with friends yeah. and family and that's the top priority for me and it always will be totally yeah do you um do you have a specific set of hours that you usually work in a day or i know you said you keep it sort of flexible but is there a set of core hours in a day that you work normally yeah so the baseline of my routines kind of get up at half five do some exercise walk the dog all this you know guru normal stuff that you'll hear a million times um you know do my emails in the morning do half a day on the client work, half a day on my own stuff, cook dinner, relax on an evening and repeat. Um, I mean, I keep Fridays relatively free, so I'll never book any meetings on a Friday because I like them to be super flexible. So if I've, if I've had a week where I'm absolutely drained, then if I want to take the day off, I will. Um, or if we want to do something as a family, you know, we can. Um, and then, yeah, weekends, I, I might do, you know, an hour of emails here and there, but I try and keep them as much, you know, for family time and friends as I can. Mm. Yeah, I used to do that on Friday afternoons. Actually, I used to always have Friday afternoons off and yeah. that's sort of gone a little bit out the window with, um, you know, the current kind of 
pandemic situation where I'm basically only working half days every day of the week, mm. you know, at the moment to spend time with family instead. But, um, you yeah, know, it's good. I'm, I'm a huge advocate myself, actually, for keeping work during work hours. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I understand that, you know, especially right now, it can be wherever you can fit it in and however you can however you can do it as well. But no, it's good to know about your split there, 50-50 on, mm. on stuff. Um, and it, it parallels kind of what I've been up to recently as well with servicing clients and trying to get this new WordPress plugin out there as well. So it's quite refreshing to hear it from someone like yourself too. Yeah, do, do you like find working on two different things in the same day is easy or do you, do you like to split the days completely? I prefer to kind of, yes, like focus all of my attention on one task. Mm, um, mm. I think the... Um, I think that doesn't happen first thing in the morning. That's the exception where I'm, mm. you know, looking at emails, looking at my to-do list, looking at my calendar. Um, you know, I might have support tickets open and all that sort of stuff. So it feels like everything's a bit everywhere. Mm. But then within an hour, that's usually consolidated down into client work for the first half of the day or the first half of the time that I'm working. Yeah. And then the rest of it will be working on my own stuff. Yeah. Um, and I found as well, and I tweeted about this the other day, the, um, the importance of switching email off, switching my to-do list yeah. off and focusing very much on on one particular thing and and having it so that I'm not distracted by other other things mm. um and especially at a time like this where you know family and um my family's around my children are around uh because you know they're not at school they're not in nursery and things like that um there are distractions elsewhere so I've got to kind of cut down as many other distractions as I possibly can yeah, for sure. I mean, I wrote an article uh, recently, actually, about a system that I use called communication crowd control, where I literally just set set expectations with other people, you know, in terms of when I'm going to be answering my emails, when I'm going to be able to be texting people back and things like that. And that's worked really well for me. It's very similar to what you've just said, you know, like blocking off three or four hours for one specific task, phone away, notifications off. And yeah, that's just the best way to productivity for me. Yeah, I try and take a similar approach actually to holidays. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that I put the, I've got a, holo- a link to my holiday calendar in my email footer, so all my clients can see when mm. they email me exactly when I'm off as well. And I can change it anytime I want. Obviously, if I want to take you know an afternoon off in you know five days time, and I can do that. But I think having that transparency around when I'm working, the hours that I'm working, how I go about my yeah. work is really important and and yeah it's just, it sounds like we're very similar in that respect no i like that that's uh, really smart i am definitely far behind you chaps in terms of productivity <laughs> <laughs> i'm a context switching nightmare and i'll work after dinner late and just yeah I've, i totally haven't got that life balance sorted but yeah and is this where you tell us you've got you know 40 tabs open in chrome <laughs> There's, there's a lot more than 40 at the moment, yeah. That's just one window. Oh, I saw... Yeah, <laughs> I've just I've just bought the Mac with new memory just to handle my Chrome tab addiction. Yeah, it's not, not good. I, I, saw a cli- I saw a client's uh, screen the other day in a call and you, you couldn't see icons for tabs. There was just... Kept going, I was like, how many tabs have you got open? I get upset when I've got five open, you know. And um, she said, oh, you don't want to know how many tabs I've got open and she said and then I've got another browser open on my other screen and it's got even more on it and I was like no don't do it that definitely is a window into sort of your approach isn't it and how like I don't know if it's if it means your productivity is bad or good but it just yeah I'm totally scattered rather than being precise with things and yeah it always polarizes people when they see it yeah well, I think, to be honest, that's been really helpful to talk to you, Tom. It's been nice to meet you and probably kind of dive into what you're doing and get an idea of where you're going with your career. And it's, you know, it sounds like, you know, you're on a, on a great path. And um, yeah, it's been really, really interesting talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've uh, really enjoyed it. I guess just to just to round up, where can people find you online? Um, yeah, where are you? Yeah, so I'm on most social media platforms as Tom Hurst. No pseudonyms or anything like that. Um, <laughs> you can get me on Twitter at Tom underscore Hurst. Uh, and that's the same for Instagram as well. And my website is TomHurst.com. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll wrap up there, Jack, unless you had anything else, you any burning questions? 
No, no, not at all. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Tom. It's been really interesting. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. Nice. Yeah, it's been good. All right. Well, yeah, thanks yeah. again for, for coming on. Thanks for listening. Um, and if you do want to drop us a review, um, please do that. You can do that on pressingmatters.fm forward slash review. Um, please let us know if you enjoyed the show. Any any questions for Tom and we can feed them back and anything else you'd like to hear about in the future. So, yeah, thanks and talk to you again, Jack, soon. Thanks again, Tom. See you later, guys. Thanks, Ian. Speak soon. Speak soon.